Hey everybody, this is Shannon with VIP Kid World, and welcome back. In today's podcast, I wanted to continue the series ABCs for VIPs by moving on to the next letter of the alphabet, letter E. For this podcast, uh, I always knew exactly what letter E was going to be for uh, because it's something that I've felt really passionately about and have had the privilege of talking about on almost a weekly basis for uh, quite a while. Um, This podcast is E is for error correction. Now, if you have been to some workshops, you might have actually been to the workshop that I do that's called Tips for Correcting Errors. If you haven't been to the workshop, I highly suggest checking it out. Uh, But one of the things I find so interesting about that topic, error correcting, is that it seems like many people believe that they don't need any additional advice when it comes to correcting errors. Because people say to themselves, oh, you know, I already know how to correct errors. It's very easy. I just point to my mouth and I say the error, uh, the corrected answer, and I put my hand over my ear and the student repeats, la-da-da, and then we move on to the next slide. Yeah. (laughs) If that is what correcting errors has come to look like for you in your classroom, definitely keep listening because we're going to talk about some pretty important things when it comes to this topic. I think when it comes to correcting errors, it kind of falls into multiple categories. There seems to be this idea of an okay way of correcting, a great way of correcting, an awesome way of correcting, etc. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I definitely want to be more than just a good teacher. See, this is a podcast, so you couldn't tell that I put good in air quotes. (laughs) So let's do it. Let's talk about error correcting and how we, doing our due diligence, can actually make a long-lasting and impactful difference in our students' lives simply by how we choose to correct them. You know, errors in the VIP Kid classroom are something that we literally have to deal with on a daily basis, on a class-by-class basis, maybe on a minute-by-minute basis in some classes, whether it's correcting pronunciation or grammar mistakes or sentence structures, phonics, blending, conjugations, you name it, the list goes on and on. It's something that has become a part of our life when it comes to VIP kid and honestly pretty quickly we become uh, hashtag pros at correcting because of the mere frequency with which we are faced with the task of fixing errors but you know it's it's definitely possible that we make the choice to go down the easy path when it comes to how we correct our students the path of least resistance and if that's the path that we've chosen The question we have to ask ourselves is, is this the best choice for our students? Not necessarily just for us. You know, one thing we we definitely know is that there is this feeling that we can create if we correct our students in the wrong way. We can create an environment that's very negative. The negative environment in the classroom obviously um, increases the stress in the classroom, and we all know what happens when stress goes up retention goes down. So of course we want to stay away from creating that kind of negative environment. Stay away from, you know, 
honestly using the word no too much in class, um, uh, telling them that they're wrong in a continuous way, um, being impatient, showing them our angry resting face. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. For our students' future success, we have to be able to create a safe environment if we even close to hope for our students to succeed in the long run. So, of course, with that in mind, you know, we're going to be choosing the correct way to correct. <laughs> so we're going to do so with positivity, with excitement. You know, I'm sure you've all had the opportunity to see the reaction from your student when you correct them in the right way. They're excited. You, you get to see that smile on their face, that, that I feel good about myself, look at what I'm doing type face. They have truly empowered feelings about their abilities. You gain also this closer relationship with your students. It seems like the rapport just leaps out of the out of the top, right? And we all definitely know how important rapport and relationship is because those two things lead to trust. And trust might just be that one key that helps us to help our students open up and honestly be willing to make mistakes. We know how important it is that they make mistakes. So, okay, let's think about the process, all right? So uh, the process of correcting errors. I want you to think about your experience. Think about times in your classroom where you've obviously been hit with the need to correct your student's error, whatever it might be. In my experience, sometimes we can definitely mess this process up. And we can mess it up right at the beginning by skipping the first and possibly most important step, commendation. So what are we talking about when we say commendation? Well, obviously, our student makes some kind of mistake, and sometimes we just jump right into telling them the answer, whether it is giving the answer and having them repeat, or telling them that that's not the right answer, or immediately acknowledging that there is something else going on. But one of the things that's so important for us to do first is to make sure that our student knows that the effort that they gave by simply opening their mouth means the world to us. We have to remember how important that commendation is. Of course, you don't want to go out of the gate and, you know, woohoo, you're amazing. That was the greatest bad answer I've ever heard. No, okay, we're not going to confuse children. But we do want to give them, you know, those basic things. Okay, good job. Nice try. Almost. I like with my older students to, to you know, add a little bit more language in there. Oh, you are so very close. Nice try. And that helps them to see something that is extremely important. It is okay to get it wrong. <laughs> we all know that in China, our students are not being told that it's okay to be wrong. So here we are in our classroom, helping them to realize that in this space, with me, in this classroom, you are safe to try. Because the reality is, we can't help children who won't open their mouths. But boy, can we do a lot for children who are willing to try. And we have to create an environment that they are willing to try in. So of course, once that is done, then we can move on to helping the student, not just by giving them the answers, but leading them to be successful on their own. You know, one of the things, in my opinion, that is one of our biggest jobs in this classroom, in this job, is to figure out how to create independent speakers. Children who feel confident in their abilities, who don't rely on their teachers or their parents to answer the question for them. Children who 
have the confidence to try it themselves. You know, self-correcting doesn't always come naturally for a lot of our students. So it's something that we have to help them to learn how to do. And we have to help them embrace the power that they have as a new and blossoming English speaker. They have the power to do this. We just have to be there to support them and to teach them the best ways to do so. And of course, while we're correcting, we're keeping a smile on our face, right? We're smiling at the beginning, we're smiling in the middle, we're smiling at the end, just so that the student realizes that being wrong is not a big deal. And I want you to do everything in your power to try, because that's one of the most important parts of correcting your students. But let's talk a little bit about some specifics. So let's think about those lower level students because, you know, m most teachers are probably teaching quite a bit of the lower level, you know, level one, level two, level three st type students. And these kids have a lot of different issues, um, but we want to be able to find the right solutions. Um, the solution doesn't need to be difficult to be effective. Of course, we'll see things with our lower level students like phonics and pronunciation. And of course, just the, the problems that come up with the initial stages of learning how a language works, especially one so drastically different from what they're familiar with, with the Chinese language. But let's talk about how we can actually do that, because it's not just about correcting for accuracy. That's one of the things that I really hope resonates within this, this podcast is that correcting for accuracy, correcting just simply for a child to repeat the answer correctly, it falls under that okay version of correcting. It is the least that we can do. But instead of just correcting for accuracy, why not reach a little bit farther and try to correct for future success and empowerment on the part of our student? Let me give you a quick example um, of what might happen maybe in a level two class. So let's say that the student is supposed to read a CVC word, you know, consonant, vowel, consonant, and the word is cat, C-A-T. So your student responds when they go to read this word and they say cut. Okay, so let's talk about what happened. Well, we have the first option. We can simply correct for accuracy, which really is the least we can do. You know, you put your hand, finger to your mouth and you say the word cat. Hand goes over the ear, the student replies cat. And you give them a big thumbs up and you move on. But what really did you do? Did you help to fix any of the problems? Or did you kind of just put a Band-Aid on top of it? Will our student be able to use what we did in the future? Or will it only be applicable right here, right now, on this slide? It's an interesting question to ask. Instead of thinking about correcting in that fashion, let's think about breaking down the error beyond just what we heard, but down to the actual problem. What was actually wrong? I think one of the most important things for us to remember as teachers is, we need to stop giving 90% if our student only needs 10. If they only need 10% from you, what are you doing giving them so much more than they need? When we give them more than they need, remember what this does. It goes against what we're hoping happens. It pushes toward cr the creation of lazy students, the creation of children who are dependent on other people to get answers right. Children who don't push themselves because no one's ever pushed them. 
you know, that might remind you of what it looks like when you have an overactive, um, over-involved parent. You ever notice that one where the parent's sitting right behind the child and, it, and you ask the child a question and instead of trying, instead of thinking, instead of pushing themselves to do the things that they can do, they turn their head, look back at mom or dad and get the answer. It's a child who is dependent on someone else, not dependent on themselves, not independent, which is what hopefully we help to create. So let's talk about that cat issue. What was the problem? Well, when the student said the word cut, the actual issue was not the letter C. The issue was not the letter T. The issue was the phonetic sound for A. The student was giving us a sound for you. Okay. Well, I don't want to give 90%. I just want to give 10 So maybe we fix the A sound. We circle the A on the screen. You know, we tell them what the sound of letter A is a couple of times so that they definitely have it. Then we give them the opportunity to fix this on their own. Try it again. Read it again. See what you've got. Remember, this is not about us. It's about them. So we have to stop making the classroom about us and our abilities. Hey guys, we already speak fluent English. (laughs) That's why we're teaching it. It's not about us, it's about them. So we've gotta create a classroom that allows them to be the main attraction and allows them to become independent speakers. You know, sometimes I think of this old expression when I think about how we as teachers choose to correct. Give a man a fish, feed him for a day. Teach him how to fish, feed him for a lifetime. Now think about that. How could we apply that concept to the way that we choose to correct our students? Well, we we don't wanna just give them the answers, right? We don't wanna just give them to be looking for it and they're going to expect it from us because they have become dependent on us and they don't try any harder because they know that the fish is coming. But instead, we teach them how to fish. Instead, we want them to be successful in the long run on their own after we are gone. You know, a lot of what we do even in the lower levels can be applied into the upper levels also. For example, um, you know, we still have some students who are struggling with pronunciation, even in the upper levels. Unfortunately, it's not necessarily their fault. It's just maybe the the preliminary uh, parts of their English education were not as finite as we'd hope them to be. Uh, Children who usually go through VIP kids starting in the low levels and then work their way up are usually amazing readers, speakers. They they have gone through a program that has groomed them to to learn the English language. And sometimes older kids um, just kind of picked up a little here and there. We drop them into level four, drop them into level five, but they're missing some fundamentals that we end up having to teach along the way. But what exactly are we doing for these level fours, fives, six, sixes, sevens? What are we doing? Are we enabling them? Are we still choosing to do the work for them? Think about the scenario of a student who's reading and mispronouncing a word. Read, 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 they mispronounce a word. Of course, we're not going to stop them in the middle of the sentence. We want to wait until they're done reading to correct them. Maybe we make a little mark on the screen. Mainly we want to do that because we don't want to throw the student off. We don't want to throw the, the, their flow off. We don't want to interrupt them. I've seen in my experience that stopping a child in the middle of their reading can also sometimes affect their comprehension, make comprehension questions a little bit harder to answer afterwards. 
But after we do that, we have a job to do, especially with new kids. We have a job of finding out why they made the error that they did. It's not as simple as a child mispronounced a word because they don't know it. It's never simply that simple. Get to the end and we mend them for reading. And one of the first things we're gonna wanna do is not tell them the answer, is not tell them how to pronounce the word. We're gonna wanna ask them to try it again. We might want to get the student to pronounce that word in isolation, not just in a paragraph, not just in a sentence, but on its own. Once we do that, it seems like we quickly start to see that not all errors are created equal. This is usually, um, for example, um, the student maybe pronounces it correctly. You say, Johnny, can you read this word again? Boom, he pronounces it correctly in isolation. Well, what does that mean? Usually it's indicative of a, I did what I needed to do to find out the problem. And once I found out the problem, then I'm able to fix it. Remember, you can't fix a problem you can't see. So we have to stop ourselves from trying to assume we know why children are doing things. And we have to dig a little deeper in order to find out why it's really happening. Don't be afraid to ask these older ones to be honest with them and tell them, hey, slow down. I want you to focus on the words, especially your fives and sixes and sevens. They speak plenty good enough English for us to be able to say, slow down, okay? We're making some mistakes, but you are such a good reader. If you just slow down, I promise you, you're gonna be doing so much better. And it's, it's weird how much better these kids actually do when they slow down and they focus. But sometimes we isolate the word and the student still mispronounces it. Remember, these kids, they're in the upper levels, but that doesn't necessarily mean the fundamentals were solid. Some of these children were never actually taught how to read. So in that case, it becomes our job to teach them the ropes, help them see familiar blends. One of the things that a lot of kids don't see are the words inside the words. They don't realize that big words are made up of smaller words. They're made up of CVC, consonant, vowel, consonant blends, CVCE, consonant, vowel, consonant, E, soft C's, CE, soft G's, GE blends. They don't see it because no one told them that that's how words are really created. Children who know phonetic blends and, and phonics in general seem to be amazing readers because they have the tools to help them read almost any word, especially if those words follow the rules that we've taught them. Seeing those words inside the bigger words, that's just the advice that we need to give our students in order to help them to be able not just to read this one word that we chose to correct, <laughs> but to read all words that fall under the same example. Let me give you an idea of what I mean by this. Um, and I want you to try and think and visualize this. I was in a class once, a um, level four class, with a regular student of mine, and we came across a word, I cannot remember what it was, but the word ended in CE, which would mean that the word fell under the soft C rule which means that this word ends with an S sound, which we teach in early level three. Now I had been teaching this student since back in those days, and I know that we had talked about it multiple times since then. So she goes to read the word and she pronounces the word with a hard C sound, with a k, k, k instead, of, instead of the S sound, okay. So obviously I have a choice at this point. Um, I could circle the word, 
correct it for accuracy, tell her the answer, listen to her repeat it, and keep it moving. But is that the best choice? Well, I decided to keep pushing. See if I could create some kind of activity that would be more impactful for the long term instead of simply working for the now, simply correcting for accuracy. So I circled CE and I asked her if she remembered the rule. Do you remember what CE sounds like? She still didn't remember it. So I thought for a second and I went to the chat box and I typed in the word F-A-C-E. I asked my student, can you read this for me? A word that I knew she would be familiar with. She looks at the chat box and she says, face. Oh, it was at that moment that the student made a connection with a previously learned word that had the same blend. So I erased everything, circled that first word and asked her to read it again and she pronounced it correctly. Can you see the difference? between that type of activity, that type of correction in relation to simply correcting for accuracy, we have the power to do much more than simply feed them for today. We can help prepare them for the future. Obviously, it worked pretty well for my student. That is how we are able to create powerful moments that lead to powerful impacts, that lead to powerful and empowered students. You know, finally, one last thing I wanna th talk about, it, it has to do with probably one of the most difficult things for us to correct in the upper levels, and that has to do with just spoken errors. You, know, you ask a student to answer a question and they give you four sentences and those sentences are all kind of jumbled up and some of the words are in the wrong place and the conjugations are all over the place. Sometimes it can be hard to know what to do with that. You know, We're happy that our student is speaking because Expressing their opinion, expressing their ideas, self-expression is huge. And we would never want to do anything to negatively impact their desire to express themselves. Uh, but of course, we're teachers, we are quality teachers, so we don't want to be ignorant of the errors either. Now for me in my classroom, one of the things that I've found to be very effective um, is not necessarily to just throw errors at a student and say, well, you know, your first sentence was wrong because your second sentence was wrong because I've never found that to be very effective. Uh, what I like to do is what I might call summary correcting. Uh, in my classroom for me, it's not enough to just tell them they're wrong, but what I've seen to be more effective is not that you're wrong, but to remind them of rules that they must have forgotten in order to make that mistake. For example, a student tells me a couple of sentences and they're kind of uh, a little all over the place. And of course, once they finish, I commend them for just doing their thing. Thank you so much. Great job expressing yourself or whatever it might be. Then I might go in to say something like, now remember, when we talk about the past tense, we use those past tense words, right? So I go to the store would be for today. What would I say for the past? Maybe I give the student the opportunity to correct themselves if I believe they have the ability. And the student might say, oh, right, teacher, I went to the store yesterday. And then we get the perfect opportunity to commend them on the accuracy, to commend them on doing it right. <laughs> wow, great job. Nice. They're able to correct themselves 
with just a little bit of help. Remember, don't give 90% if all they need from you is 10. You know, sometimes it definitely is okay for us to focus on fluency, self-expression, instead of necessarily 100% precision. But of course, remember to um, use parent feedback. Work in conjunction with that in your classroom. I think it's so important for us to continue to let parents know that what we're doing, why we're doing it, um, what they can do to help, how we can create a safe space without uh, that fear of a parent retaliating because we didn't correct 100% of their errors. Tell them why you're doing what you're doing and that it is the reason or it might just be the thing that helps their child to become fluent in the future. We're going to keep a smile on our face, of course, all the time. I think it's great to be able to do that, make it fun, make sure they don't feel like making mistakes is a bad thing. You know, when we're able to create that safe environment for the student to learn in, make mistakes in, we can then begin to cultivate this perfect place for long-term retention. I think it's not simply being satisfied with the good, but reaching all the way to the top, pushing ourselves to become amazing correctors by doing more than simply correcting for accuracy, but doing so for empowerment and for true future success for all of our students. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast today. Um, I hope that you enjoyed uh, hearing about what we can do to take our correcting errors ability to the next level to go beyond just simplicity, but to really create something that is going to help our students for the future. Please feel free to follow uh, the podcast. Keep listening. I really appreciate all of your support. Those of you that have reached out to me on social media, thank you for all of your kind words. It really means a lot to me. I do hope that you are enjoying the podcast and feel free to comment on Facebook or send me an email if you want um, any more things to be talked about. Uh, feel free to share it wherever you want to uh, share the, the link to the podcast. I always appreciate that. And I'm actually headed on vacation in a couple of days. So super excited. I hope to be able to do a few podcasts while I'm out of the country, headed to Portugal on Monday. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you for being amazing. And thank you for just playing caring about your students. It means the world to me. And I know it means the world to them. Thanks again. And we'll see you in the next podcast.